0: And the verse that God brought me was from 1 Corinthians 10. That's what we're going to read. And do you know what Paul compares baptism to? The Red Sea. He says in the first covenant, people were baptized into Moses through the Red Sea. So what if that was your baptism? We're going to go down here. People are going to be chasing you, trying to kill you. And you're going to walk to the edge of the road and it's going to part or it won't. You don't know until you get there. You're walking by faith. Like, that's not a nice, comfortable analogy. Paul didn't pick the safest, most secure, most comforting thing. He said, it's like when our people were being chased. The Red Sea is about slavery. It's about people in bondage from people that are using and abusing them. And God says, I'm not going to leave you in that forever. Like, that's what baptism is about. We're not getting left where we were. The Red Sea is about fear. Right, But we don't want to live by fear. And when we come up out of that water, we shouldn't be living in fear anymore. So it's about fear and then, wow, what did God do? No. Baptism should have this kind of like inspiring Red Sea moment to it. Rather than just God loves you, he's got you, don't worry. Like, There's a lot to be worried about. But we're not going to let it make us live in fear because God's greater. Think about the Israelites. They had to eat their food while all their clothes on. So baptism back then in that moment was get ready to go. You don't want it's going to happen, but you got to be ready. And at the moment's notice when God says go, you just jump and you run and you don't know where you're going. That's the Red Sea. The Red Sea is everybody's out to get us, and here we are Christians in a world where a lot of people are out to get us. Can we relate maybe to a Red Sea kind of experience? I feel like we make it too tame, no one can relate to it. Okay, so you're in a church building and you get dunked under the water, but no! Everybody knows what it's like to feel pressure. Everybody knows what it's like to feel hounded. Everybody knows what it feels like to be like, well, I'm at the edge of this ocean and if it doesn't part, I'm done. I don't know if I'm on. I'm talking loud either way. Yeah, I'm on. Um, so, like, how? What if baptism was the most relatable thing that we had to the world? What if we said there's some ceremony where you can put your whole life on the line? I love you so much that I want everyone to hear you. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, I'll turn off one so I can turn on the other. Right. We've made it tame, but I think baptism was supposed to be untamed. I think baptism might supposed to be fierce. I think baptism is about struggle, not about comfort and warm water. And so if we sit here too comfortable, we're actually missing the point of what's going on here. What's going on here is some people in this room, some who I know, Caleb, who I just met this morning, are saying, I want to die to what was before. All those fears, all those things hounding me. I'm going to go through that water. And when I come out on the other side, I'm going to say, God did a miracle. And it's different. So the Red Sea wasn't good news for the Egyptians. It's only good news for God's people. The Egyptians pitted themselves against God, and they died. Right? Baptism is this victory. It's this overcoming. It's a deliverance. It's a beautiful, powerful thing. And so I just wanted to read that passage in 1 Corinthians 10. Let Paul preach to us his own words, how he wants to say it. And just think about that. Because they have the same experience in a way that we do. They were God's people in a foreign land. We're God's people in a foreign land. They went through the Red Sea and then had wilderness after it. We go through baptism and we still are waiting for the promised land. So we're still in the, like, the one-to-one relationship of the Red Sea to baptism is something that's been blessing me this week. So I just want us to read it together. 1 Corinthians 10. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and they all passed through the sea, and they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and they all ate the same spiritual food, they all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Some of us go to a New Hope Christian chapel. Some of us go to a perfecting life church. doesn't matter. We're all drinking from the same rock. We're here for the same baptism. It's the same Christ. There were tribes in Israel. So maybe our churches are some weird kind of version of tribes. We're the same people. We're the same people. They were the same people then. And they were baptized into Moses. So here's the warning. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as an example for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did and 23,000 fell in a single day. That is not common to every single human being. And God is faithful, and he will not let us be tempted beyond our ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people, judge for yourselves what I say. So think of the things that they fell to. They fell to idolatry, which is just loving things more than God. I'm pretty sure we live in a world that loves things more than it loves God. So same context, right? They worshipped other gods. We live in a world where lots of gods are worshipped, either knowingly or unknowingly. Same thing. But we're trying to get out of that world. We're trying to be saved and delivered from that world, and that's what this is for. This is to say we're not in that world anymore. What else did they struggle with? Uh, We must not indulge in sexual immorality. There's so much sexual immorality. It's like celebrated and praised and so much a part of our culture, but we're not trying to be that way anymore. We're trying to use our sexuality to say, God made me and he made love and he made... Like, how can we use that to glorify God instead of just trying to make ourselves happy at the expense of everyone else? What's it for? Who's he for? So we're trying to get out of that world. They were in that world to Egypt powerful, luxury, entertainment, Egypt, America, powerful, it's the same, and they were taken out. They weren't meant to be like the people around them. What else? We must not put Christ to the test. People are doubting Jesus. People are defaming him, are rubbing his name in the mud all the time. Like if this is a warning to them, they better watch out because he doesn't stand for that forever. And some of these same people that took that route, they never made it to the promised land. They made it into the wilderness, and that was it. How many of us grumble? We complain about the things that we don't have, the things that we want. God's got us in a waiting pattern, and we're complaining because we're not at the finish line yet. So many things we want to have done, and then we think it's no big deal oh, just to like complain a little bit. You know, I'm not, I don't talk as bad as that next person, but I just kind of, you know, complain a little bit. And then it becomes part of our conversation. The next thing you know, every time we talk, it's what's wrong, what you don't like, what's not good. That's not glorifying God, but that's the world we live in. That's the social media we live in. It's everything that's wrong with the world, and nothing good's going out into the world. And so the bad just turns into more and more bad. And so I think, if they were baptized into the Red Sea, meaning they fled that, and God made a way for them out of it, And they had faith to go through it. Because I bet it was scary being in the Red Sea with the water piled up on each side. So even in the middle of being delivered, I bet they were afraid. And they were certainly afraid before it parted. And the armies are coming behind them. And I think we get afraid too. What's my family going to say? What's going to happen to my job? How do I act as a believer? How do I handle this relationship? What do I do? How do I say no? So we're the same where God's people are all drinking the same spiritual rock, and that rock is Christ. So we get to be baptized. I thought I was up on the wall behind me. Baptized into Christ. We get to be baptized into the rock. They were just looking for that. So they look forward to Jesus. We look back to Jesus. Same Jesus, same people of God. He's the one that takes us through, and he took them through. I just have to point out one more thing. I won't read it, but do you remember the first couple of verses, it said they are baptized in the cloud and the sea? So that means that God will deliver you, but then you have to keep following him. You don't just get through your your dynamic struggle and say two years later, thank you, God, and then wash your hands like I got it from here. That's not what baptism is about. And I think from our church and from your church, we have some people here today that are rededicating their lives. So I would challenge you, like follow the cloud after you go through the Red Sea, because God still has plans and he still wants to keep talking. He's not just trying to forgive your sins and then leave you on your own. He's forgiven sins and saving you and then has a plan and a purpose, as our brother was talking about. We all have a purpose, and that's the cloud. That's following the Spirit. It's walking by the Spirit. It's living by the Spirit. So let's not keep this too tame. Thank you, Perfecting Life, for bringing some energy this morning, because I don't think this is supposed to be too tame. I don't think it is. I don't think we should stay quiet. I don't think we should be all nice and calm for this sort of an event. If this is the Red Sea then it means something scary. It means something possible. It means something incredible. It means something permanent. It means something will be different in the lives of the people that do this. They will not be the same in a half an hour. than they are. Something's happening. So for those of us that have been baptized, maybe you've gone through the Red Sea, I encourage you to keep looking for the cloud. 40 years, pillar of fire, cloud of smoke. God led them. So how long will our our lives be? I don't know. We've got another 40 years till we get the promised land. Great. Give us 40 or give us four minutes, whatever. But we want to be following Jesus, because what a shame to go all the way through this, the Red Sea, and then die in the wilderness, because we didn't keep our eyes on Jesus. would have been better to just die in Egypt. And that's what they kept saying. Wouldn't it be easier if we just stayed the way things were? Wouldn't it be better if I had all my comforts, all the food I like to eat, the entertainment? God says, no, it's going to be harder. But it's going to be better. So the cloud is there for us that have been baptized. For those of you that have not been, and this is the first time, this is your Red Sea moment. We sing a song, The Red Sea Road. You know, it's like, this is your victory march from one life to the other life, from Egypt to the wilderness to eventually the promised land. And uh, let's not keep it too serious, shall we? Let's not keep it too serious tame. This is big things that are happening here. This is spiritual battles that are being won and lives that are being changed. So I think it is beautiful that all of our tribes can be here in this place. Drinking the same drink and baptizing. What is uh, is Galatians? There's one Father, one Spirit, one Lord, one God over all and through all. That's what's happening today. So Red Sea is what I think is happening. Sister, if you want to bring some more from the Word before we actually go to it, I'll turn it over to you.
1: See if it works. this one? He's in charge. Hallelujah. Jacob, bring me my notebook there, please. Hallelujah. Can I just push this? Yep. Yeah, I got it. They're so good, aren't they? But little do they know, I have to pick up a 197-pound man. Okay? I need my glasses, Jacob. You know I can't see. Hallelujah. Really quick. How many of you know that we, when we first met God, we met him at the water. So if we could just turn really quickly to Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2, and I'm going to share really quickly. Jacob, come grab this. You know what to do. Come on. Come on, Jakey. Just hold this, okay, because I don't want it to fall. Hallelujah. If everybody is there, say yeah, uh uh-huh. Oh, I just love it. Hallelujah. So Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over, over the face of the waters. So, as I said, when we first met God, we met Him at the water. You all be patient with me, I won't be before you long. The first thing God moved upon in the Spirit of God, it says, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. That's what it said, right? So, the first thing that God moved on was water, and it's important. That we understand that there is a theology that needs to be grasped or understood here about God and water. (laughs) I haven't fully grasped it myself, but I just want to point out that there is something between God and water. And it's so important that all throughout the Bible, the theme continues as the law first mentions or suggests that we would always see some kind of connection between God and water. Exodus 15 and 4, it says Pharaoh drowned in the water when God saved his people, right? Leviticus 11 and 24 says the priests had to wash in water before they could go into the Holy of Holies. Joshua 1 and 11, the new generation that was born in the desert had to pass through the Jordan in order to get to the promised land. Y'all catch that? Okay. There's always something between God and water. Water and God. Exodus 17, 5 and 6 says he taught Moses how to draw water out of the rock. Moses smote the rock as the water spewed out of the rock, not out of the ocean, not out of a river, but out of the rock. Catch that. Did you hear what he said? Did you hear what he said? So God birthed water out of the rock. Numbers 27 and 11 says later he told them to speak to the rock and water gushed water out of the rock. There's something about God and water, water and God. I can't exactly figure out what it is, but there's so many opportunities here for us to understand more clearly that God has this preoccupation with water. Can I get an amen? Amen. John 1, 26 through 34 explains that Jesus starts his ministry where? At the water. The Bible says that he goes down to the Jordan River and John is baptizing at the Jordan River and John looks up while he's baptizing and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. And, and it goes on to say, Jesus came down and the Bible says, though, straightway, he came down into the water and he rose up, he rose up out of the water. And what happened after he rose up out of the water? The heavens opened up, my God. Do y'all see what I'm saying? There is something between God and water and water and God. That's my boy. That's my baby. Matthew chapter 3, 1 through 17 says, When he came up out of the water, the heavens opened up, and the voice of heaven spoke and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Oh, I'm so pleased. You can go sit down. You want to sit down? I got to stay focused. So Jesus started his ministry with water. Oh, He's so good. He just came off a fast. Good job. So Jesus started his ministry at the water. So let's go back to the first miracle in John chapter 2, 1 through 10. His first miracle was done with water. So his mother Mary said, Jesus, we've run out of wine. And so he goes and he tells the servants to, to get some water, six turnkins to be exact. And when they brought the water back to Jesus, what did he do? He turned it into wine. There is something about water in God in God in water. And that's why baptism is so important. There is something between God and God and water. And I know that some of you all might think that it's just a ceremony or that it's just a routine or some ritualistic thing or, you know, do it, or you don't have to do it, but we can't, this is what he was saying. We can't underestimate the power of the water. Water has power. Water has force. Water has might. Water has significance. When Peter met Jesus, he met him walking on the water. There is something about God in water. Water in God. Wherever you see one, you see the other. When Jesus called his 12 disciples, he called them alongside the water. God reveals himself through water he told the woman at the well if you drink of this water you'll never thirst again there is something about god and water water and god i could go on and on because then it goes on to say that when he created man he he breathed into man the man out of dust but and i think about it the body is created okay but i'm not going to go into that So here we experience some things about God That we need to understand and we need to develop an appreciation About God's attraction to water and I'm almost done Genesis 1 2 says that he moved upon the face of the waters So today we find ourselves at the water. So water baptism it's an act of faith. It's an it's an act of obedience to Christ. Baptism declares that you are a follower of Christ. It's an, it's a public confession of your faith and commitment to Jesus Christ. It's the next step of salvation. After repentance through faith and it's an important it's an important foundation set before the Lord remember baptism is a symbol and it's a symbol of Christ's burial and Christ's resurrection our entrance into the water during baptism identifies us with Christ's death on the cross and his burial and the tomb and his resurrection from the dead. It's a symbol, as he mentioned, of our new life as a child of God. So we bury the old life and we rise up and we walk into the new life. Lee and Nella, you all can understand. Baptism is it's almost like a wedding ring an outward symbol of commitment and it's an outward symbol of commitment that you've made in your heart. This is an outward representation of an inward work but it's also a commitment that has to be followed through on a daily basis. Can I get an amen? Amen. Turn to somebody and say a daily basis. basis. Come on this is how we do it in the In the Afro-American church. I'm just kidding. Sorry. Oh. (laughs) Baptism. It doesn't make you a believer. It simply shows you that you are already one. Mm -hmm. Baptism doesn't save you. Only your faith can do that. So with that being said. So it's a symbol of the burial. And the resurrection. So Jesus died as Jesus but when Jesus rose he rose with all power in the palm of his hand he rose as the anointed one so when he got up on that cross and he died he took on everything that you can't even imagine he took it on he died for that purpose so when you go down in that water depression is going down with you anxiety In the palm of your hand Come on let's give the Lord A round of applause Hallelujah Hallelujah So who's ready so yeah. so yeah. to
2: So to go? Let I think
1: he's asking for you want to go next, though? Uh-huh. Right. Oh, this is one
0: Oh, okay, All right. I just step it i a Whenever you're ready, i guess take
2: our here. I got in the baptism <laughs> <laughs> i us. So Huh? I surrender all That's what we're having all day. I surrender all So Hallelujah, I should win. wedding